Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. To episode 15. No, Mike, I hit the button late. I hit the oh, button late. The button so late. <laughs> just start. Just start over again. We'll leave that in because it'll probably be a funny intro. But like, I I messed up. So, so <laughs> it's not good. It's good <laughs> All right. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 15 of the Moving Docs podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Jasmine Markin. Marcus. She is a writer and physical therapist working in outpatient orthopedics in Ithaca, New York, which Ithaca is. Very uh, special place in my heart as well, so we're very excited to have her on. So thank you and welcome for being on the yeah, show. Yeah, thanks yep. for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're super excited. Mm-hmm. What are we going to talk about today, Jake? Uh, all sorts of stuff. Everything from PT school. Well, obviously Jasmine's background. We're going to get to know her a little bit more first. Then we're going to talk about PT school at Ithaca. Probably talk a little bit about Ithaca because you guys are both from Ithaca. And, you know, I'll be maybe a little bit left out of that conversation, but... Maybe it'll be inspiring me to travel to upstate New York. Mm. Um, and then like Jasmine's blog, the side hustles, her work with the APTA, her previous radio show. So we got, Mike, we got a lot of stuff lined up, man. I think yeah. it's going to be a good one. Should and good. obviously it is nice to have people that are not um, just like dudes on the podcast. <laughs> Adds a little bit of, you know, just different perspective and kind of like sprinkles in a little bit of, um, you know, testosterone estrogen balance in the show yeah yeah uh so we are excited about that yeah. uh so yeah jasmine can you um can you tell us a little bit about your background like how you got started in everything that you're doing yeah um so i'm from new jersey i at first ended up in ithaca because i did my undergraduate at cornell um my whole life i actually wanted to be a journalist And so I was writing and getting internships in that. And then it was only when I graduated and the year afterwards, I actually decided to go back and do physical therapy. Um, I ended up at Columbia in New York City for PT school. And now I am back in Ithaca working. Yeah. Go Ithaca. Let's go. (laughs) So just just random question because, you know, like pop culture stuff. Do you watch, are you a fan of the office? Yes, I am. Okay. How many, how much of the Andy Bernard Cornell stuff is accurate? Oh my God. (laughs) Well, so my friends and I always have a joke that if we're talking about how we went to Cornell, we always have to ask the people like, have you ever heard of it? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then, so when I was at Cornell and I was writing for the newspaper, was when Andy actually mentioned the football team's quarterback like by name on the show. So I ended up interviewing him about the experience and like, hey, how did it feel that you were mentioned on The Office last night? Um, they talked about his arm, something like that. So it was kind of a cool interview because he had no idea what was happening until all these people texted him. So it was a nice little overlap of real life. That's awesome. Was there like an influx of people applying to Cornell at all? Do you know? I don't After know. Like the... We should look into that. But actually, the actor who plays Andy Bernard, I'm blanking on his name, gave the commencement speech like a year or two after I graduated. Uh, Ed, I think it's Ed Helms. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they've been like <laughs> they've been making full use of it. I think. That's awesome, but did it? Did people have like, especially the? Oh, hold on. 
Let's circle back. Mm -hmm. How many acapella groups were there at Cornell? There were a lot. There were a lot. Uh, I had friends who were in them. It was a pretty big scene. I went to a lot of concerts. So I would say that part's pretty accurate. Okay. Did you ever meet anybody named Nard Dog? (laughs) I did not, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Because I've seen some, like, doctored photos of, like, Ed Helms, like, young Ed Helms, Mm -hmm. wearing, like, a Cornell um, Letterman jacket with... Over the C, it just says Nard Dog oh, wow. in, in like um, embossed letters. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. That's cool. Uh, yeah, so Mike, go ahead and ask a question because uh, I'm just going to keep spiraling down this Cornell rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, well, I was actually kind of curious too because you said um, that you kind of hosted a radio show and you had some opportunities to kind of interview people. Yeah. Do you think you could tell, tell us a little bit about those experiences there? Yeah, so the year after we graduated from college, Um, My husband and I lived in Israel. He was playing basketball there. And then I had heard of this startup website called Israel Sports Radio and got in touch with the people running it. And they asked me if I wanted to host a show. Um, So, of course, I said yes. And it was kind of funny because it was about American college football and basketball. And I know a lot about basketball. I know nothing about football. So I kept the show, (laughs) I kept the show pretty much like about the things that would come up in the news or controversies or great stories about players. Like I, I kept it away from the strategy behind the game because I cannot talk about that at all. Um, and it was kind of a good segue to being a PT because at least an outpatient, you end up always talking about really random things with your patients. So it made me really good about talking for a long time about things that I didn't always know what I was talking about. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That is, that is true. I mean, uh, all of the random pop culture references that we use here oftentimes come into play uh, every day at work. Yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> so it's almost like I'm studying for my job. Yeah, by just being <laughs> up to date on things, totally. Yeah. Watching Netflix, watching the news, mm-hmm. ESPN. Yeah, no, I mean... I, I wonder if there's like a way I can write off that time somehow. <laughs> it's like a work-related expense. expense. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if the IRS will count that yeah. for like a tax relief. Time though. spent watching the Olympics in a couple of weeks. You have to know about what's going on there. So mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that though. I love that um, you know your experiences with the radio show were able to translate into what you're doing with your profession now. Yeah. And you know that's like, uh, and we, I was just reading up and kind of looking at this, and like I, I know part of your passion is being able to kind of blend both of those two worlds together. So it's cool that you've had that opportunity to do that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So can you speak a little bit more about like what what is Israeli radio like? That must have just, I mean, aside from like the sports aspect of it, like what was it like working for an Israeli radio show? So it was a website that was started by Americans living in Israel. So I don't know that it was the most Israeli thing ever. It was all because it was all run by Americans. We were talking in English. We were talking about things going on in America, but it was still a really cool experience. Okay. So it was mostly like it was all online then? Yeah. And it, the, it would be broadcast over the internet and... I don't know if many people listen to it, but I had some friends and family who listened to me, so that was <laughs> that was worth it. <laughs> so, did you do it all from like the comfort of your home, just like laptop? No, I would go in. They had a really tiny little office. So I would go in there once a week and do my show, and then I would always have a few guests. So the guests would, I would have them call in and then talk to them over the phone. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a. 
I personally was not a radio host in college, but one of my buddies, um, Kevin, not not Kevin, Mike, not the one that you've met, I don't think. Um, my friend Kevin McVeigh, he actually works out for Amazon right now. Oh, cool. Um, he's out in Seattle, but he was into all sorts of like really really cool stuff. And one of the things he did was he was a late night DJ from like it was I think it was like eleven thirty to one thirty on like Wednesday nights. Oh wow. When I was at UVA. Mm-hmm. And his last show ever, he put, like, a Facebook post out and was like, hey, does anyone want to be, like, my guest host? And so I was just like, uh, yeah. yeah. And this actually kind of ties into another really long story about how I was, like, I had a secret identity at UVA and, like, would troll the um, – they had these, like, boards, message boards in the, in the cafeterias where you could, like, text stuff in. Mm-hmm. And so I created an alternate uh, identity, and I would text in as this person all the time. Yeah. And I created like a cult following at the at one of our dining halls, and it actually got to the point where they, I ended up starting a war on the text message thread, um, and I got invited to be like a guest host of like a, a some sort of like Top Chef or Iron Chef tasting thing. Anyways, I used that identity as my uh, MC name. Oh wow! And uh, it was just a nice way to like come full circle <laughs> with some some of the weirder things I'd done in college. Yeah, wow. But it it was it was just so interesting, like seeing all that stuff behind the scenes and like, I mean, I don't know how big UVA's student radio thing was, but um, just like having people call in and like talking to someone on the phone while you're live on radio was all such a surreal experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's just that little experience is just it's just so awesome. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you got to do that for a while is super cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Very cool. So so Jasmine, what's what's an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Um, I know how to unicycle. I think that's maybe what you're asking. <laughs> no, that that's cool. That how did you get about like yeah, no, that definitely fits. I'm just kind of curious, like, how's, how that came about. I went to a camp, a summer camp when I was younger that had, like, everything normal that a camp would have, like swimming, arts and crafts, and then they also had circus activities. So hmm. I used to choose to do some of that, and I learned how to unicycle. Oh, that's sweet. Now, now do, you continue, <laughs> do you continue to unicycle? I, I own one. I don't do it very often, but I do own one. So, Jasmine, fun fact about Mike, mm-hmm. he was actually in the circus program at Ithaca. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the yeah, women I... who was in that started a circus school in Ithaca right now, actually. Is that, uh, that would be Amy yeah. Cohen, right? Mm-hmm. That's sweet. Have you been down there? Yeah, I've, I've checked it out a couple times. It's pretty cool. That's so sweet. Yeah, that, that had been like a passion of hers for such a long time yeah. uh, when, she, when she was going to school there. Um, and I just, I saw a couple, like she was doing a Kickstarter or something to yeah. raise money for, yeah. for that. And then That's I'm so actually, cool. I've treated a few people who've gotten hurt <laughs> from doing things there. So I have, I guess, the extra benefit of understanding exactly what they were doing when they hurt themselves in a kind of a weird way. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, okay, you're, you're gonna have to tell us about that. What what kinds of circus related injuries do you get? Um, like hamstring strains. Just you're you're in really weird positions if you're doing trapeze or silks, um, stuff like that. There's there's people who are just like circus physical therapists. It's like a whole little niche field. Um, hmm. But yeah, so I've treated a few people like that. And um, I mean, rehab is rehab. These aren't like professional circus people but when they're trying to describe like what exactly they did i actually like know what they're talking about so i think they appreciate that 
have you yeah, sure. created a market for like unicycle related injuries? <laughs> and maybe if I was in a bigger city. <laughs> and then if you, so like if you're learning to ride a unicycle, do you put training wheels on a unicycle? No. You, like, is that a thing you can do? No, you just kind of fall a lot. And then all of a sudden one day you just stop <laughs> falling. That's kind of how you do it. That sounds like a perfect metaphor for, for life. life. Yeah. <laughs> you just fall a lot until you stop falling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like everything. <laughs> um, how, so can you go like mountain biking on a, or mountain unicycling? Is that a thing? I think it like, is. A, like- I think it is a thing. And some people do that. I personally would probably kill myself if I tried to do that. So I, <laughs> I try to stick to regular roads. <laughs> And that, that's the, the different thing, too, about the unicycle is there's no, like, gear shift or anything. So every time you turn the pedal, the wheel turns yeah. on its own, right? Yeah. It's also so, it's hard to go downhill because you can't coast. Like, your legs have to be just moving more quickly. So you can't, like, take your feet off the pedals. So it's kind of an added challenge. <laughs> so it's only, it's only for flat land. Like, you, you can, can probably go do downhill. You just be... have to be careful and move your legs really quickly. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny story about that, too. There is... Um, at Ithaca College when I was there. Um, Ithaca is very hilly for anybody yeah, that doesn't really, uh, isn't familiar. Yeah, it's just all over the place. And there's this one hill by the, the Health and Life Sciences Building um, or the Health Sciences Building in, at Ithaca that's just this real steep hill and it kind of like winds around a corner. And I remember looking out the window once in the classroom and I just see this guy on a unicycle starting to go down the hill. Oh, wow. And then all of a sudden I see his knees just like moving real fast. And then he picks up like a ton of speed and his legs were just moving so fast as he went down the hill. I thought for sure he was going to crash. Oh, wow. So it can be done. Was it like the the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote <laughs> where like their legs like spin in a circle really, really fast before they actually like take off? That's exactly what it looked like. <laughs> Did, was there also like a like a tunnel painted on a brick wall that he went through, and then people tried to follow him through and they couldn't because it was a brick wall and not a tunnel? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that happens. Oh, I would believe it. You know, if any if any place in the world that it could happen, it could probably happen in Ithaca. Definitely. It sounds like a sounds like a magical magical place. It is. We're we're gonna have to plan a trip up there, Mike. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we have to do like a 2019 like road show. It'd <laughs> be like live podcasts or something, and just visit everyone that we've like made friends with. Yeah, do it. Do it from the wineries up here. Oh yeah! Oh that'd my god, perfect. that'd be that'd be like a really horrible version of drunk history from the comedy <laughs> Central. It would just be like me and me and Mike, and then I would just get like horrible like Asian glow, even though I'm not Asian. But I'd just get like super red cheeked and like be very very intoxicated while we drink wine. And try to talk about PT. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, I think it, I think it'd be great. We might need to do like a mini series, Mike. It's perfect. I think I'm down for it. In it to win it. Jasmine, what, do you what? have a favorite winery uh, up there? I do. I'm like Americana. Oh yes. Yeah. Mostly because they have slushies and they give out fudge. So those two things. <laughs> What? <laughs> they make fudge and they're always giving out samples. And after oh your wine tour, you can just like go crazy at the sample section. Mike, mm. is there a way we can get sponsored by them? <laughs> we just this is this is how you do it as a millennial, right? You just tweet at somebody until they give you what you want. Yeah. So we just tweet at the America Americana. Yeah. Americana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wine slushies. That sounds amazing. Yeah, they're pretty. That's good. great. 
I would just definitely pronounce everything wrong, though. Um, like the, I mean, I do it on purpose kind of as a joke, but I think I've gotten to the point where I've done it so many times on purpose, I still call it like cabinet civignons. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that they would like that if I, if I showed up. They're pretty relaxed. I think they'd be okay with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that the winery that has the, the dogs yes, too? Yes, yes. Okay, they have like, dogs running around okay. too. <laughs> they're they're just perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're, we're going to have to like just start tweeting at them for stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> just like hashtag them in all of our, uh, all of our Instagram <laughs> posts. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Motivation Monday. Hashtag Americana Winery. <laughs> <laughs> Just start advertising for them without, like, any sort of, like, understanding between their business and ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd get, like, an extra two two followers on Instagram. would be great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, um, <laughs> Jasmine, so how did – how, how is the transition from um, journalism to physical therapy? Like, what, what made that switch? Um, so it was that year that I was kind of living abroad and just watching all of my friends trying to get journalism jobs and it was during their session and they were having a hard time and the pay wasn't so great. And then my dad kept sending me the articles that you've seen, like the top 10 careers for 2000, whatever. And physical therapy was always on those lists. Um, I'd had physical therapy a few times before and after getting enough of those lists, I just decided to go for it and went back and took a couple of prereqs and decided that that was a good job to switch into. Hmm. Did you find it challenging at all going from like a journalism background to like having to learn anatomy and get kind of yes. accustomed to PT? Yeah, very. Um, so I took all the prereqs that I needed to take. But you're in PT school and you're with people who majored in exercise science or physiology. And I just, I remember this conversation in anatomy lab where people were talking about like what their favorite muscle was. And like, I had never even heard at that point of most of the muscles yet. I just knew like what I had to study for that day and look up in lab. And so at the beginning of PT school, I definitely felt a little bit behind and like it was more challenging for me to get kind of on the same page of what we were talking about. I was like, I don't have a favorite muscle. I've never even heard of the piriformis before. Like there's more than just the glute back there. Like, what are we talking about? So. <laughs> Completely understandable. I've, um, I had a couple classmates in my cohort that, um, they were like business majors or one was like, I think we have one student at SU right now that was like a museum science major. Yeah. I think wow. right. So we've had a couple of people with like really diverse backgrounds and I know there's that initial like learning curve where it's like they're kind of like, oh, my God, I have to learn all this anatomy. Everybody else has had like, you know, practice with it before, has been exposed to all these different muscles, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of times those students end up becoming like much, much better um, in those subjects just because they've had to kind of overcome that little bit of adversity. Yeah. And the way that they've found like their study methods and stuff have really like ended up working for them like very, very well. Did you have anything in particular that you – like utilize to kind of catch up on with that learning curve? I don't know if there's anything particular. I think it was just realizing like, okay, I came in as a strong applicant and a strong student, but I maybe in the first semester feel a little bit behind. So I need to study a little bit extra and mm-hmm. just, I don't know. It's different because if I was a psych major. So if a topic 
as a psych major wasn't that interesting, you could kind of just skip it. But you can't, <laughs> you can't be like learning about the wrist and be like, yeah, I think I just like won't really learn about the wrist this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> do, you, do you have any? Different. Do you have any advice for students that may be in that position right now um, that feel like you know they don't have the same background that a lot of the other classmates do, um, and maybe they are struggling with anatomy? Do you have any yeah. tips or tricks for them? I think the biggest advice is just get through the first semester. And then once you get through that, then you're all on the same page because you feel like that at the beginning, but then kind of once you're past anatomy and all the basic classes you do at the beginning of PT school, then I felt caught up. And then the rest of PT school is just the rest of PT school. So you might feel like that initially, but just know that that feeling won't last forever. And now I'm a real PT. Like no one knows that I'm any different from someone who's wanted to be a PT their whole life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of random side question. Do you want to know what Mike and I's favorite muscle is? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it before. Um, and the spelling comes from kind of like a traditional German uh, root. Uh, it's the trilateral plutonox. What is that? Uh, Mike, do you want to explain? It's, is that it's a the real only muscle, muscle or is this a joke? It's the only muscle that directly attaches to the talus. Okay. Uh, and it's also the only muscle that trilaterally extends the back. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> it was so okay. This is gonna. It's we're already down a rabbit hole. Uh, when I when I was an undergrad, one of my roommates, um, when I would come home from Cadaver Lab, he'd always be like, "Hey Jake, did you find the trilateral plutonox yet?" It was just a muscle uh -huh. that he made up. Mm -hmm. And so when we were in uh, like anatomy together, I, I would just like keep bringing it up, and eventually we kind of got it to the point where like everyone in our class would talk about the trilateral plutonox. <laughs> we would like, insert it as like, you know, random muscle. Like if we were talking about stuff, we would just insert it casually into random conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it was the only muscle that's like literally everywhere in the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, goes, it goes where it needs to be at the moment that it needs to be used. One of those. Yeah, do you, but ever, it's the do you only... ever tell patients about it? Uh, no, <laughs> because I think, I think ethically like telling them lies on purpose would be bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, things, but it is funny to mess with, uh, first year PT students every once yeah. in a while, just to kind of keep them on their toes and just be like, Hey, you guys, uh, did you figure out where the trilateral plutonox is yet? Wait, so something similar happened to me in our first practice, practice anatomy practical, we had been calling all the muscles in your lateral foot, like the peroneals, like so peroneal longus and peroneal brevis. And then on the test, whoever gave us the practice test was calling them like fibularis longus and brevis, mm -hmm. something like that. And I left. And so I obviously put the way we'd been taught. And then they were talking about these other muscles. And I just left the practice one being like, how are there muscles that I have still never heard of? Like, how did I not like know about these muscles? Like I should have at least heard of them in this whole like month of school. And then eventually I realized that it was the same muscle, just different names. Mm -hmm. But there, just, there's a panic just, moment where I was like, how did I just not even hear about these muscles? The the other one that we used to like randomly throw in there was uh, when when we had the cadavers uh, prone and we were like working on the back, mm -hmm. we, we would just randomly throw in the question to like unsuspecting people like, what's the deepest muscle of the back? Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, oh, like they'd say like multifidus or something like that. We'd be like, no, pec major. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, what? They like look at you like really stupid, and you're just like, well, I mean, look, if they're prone. Like that's the deepest muscle. Yeah. Come it on, is. people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's funny. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'm sure your classmates love that. I don't know that a lot of people really liked me when I asked questions like that. <laughs> and I, I think part of it, the people that like understood my humor, like absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. But the people that didn't really know me as well, like definitely did not appreciate my humor. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. So Jasmine, uh, you mentioned that you, you applied to PT school and you went to Columbia, but what was your process like for applying to PT school? Did you kind of like shotgun approach it and apply to a bunch or did you carefully select a few that you wanted to go to? I, I think I applied to eight. I selected a few partially based on cities that I wanted to live in. And at the time my husband was applying to be a grad assistant basketball coach and also applying to grad school. So we just kind of picked some cities and programs that we thought about going to together and kind of picked from there. So, cool. so kind of a combination. Up? Sorry, what was that? Did you guys both end up at Columbia? Yeah, we did. Okay. That probably, that probably makes it a lot easier, like, to be able to have somebody kind of in it with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being able to help each other out. If yeah. It was, we were applying for very different things, but it was good to have someone who was in grad school because they understand that you don't really lead a normal schedule. Because at the mm-hmm. time, a lot of my friends were working regular jobs, so they want to hang out on, like, a Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. And it's hard to explain, like, okay, but I have to study, and I'm not done for the day ever. Like, I have to go home and do all these things and... Yeah, it helps have someone who's in grad school, too, and understands it. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And I think that, that can be, like, a source of contention for a lot of people that don't understand uh, some of the time commitments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you said, too. Like, you're, you're never really done. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, you finish classes maybe by, like, 4 or 5 o'clock, but then you still got, you know, books that you need to study through and everything else you need to get through. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and nobody, nobody knows what it's like unless you're in it. Yeah, definitely. So it's got to be good to have somebody, you know, that you can talk to and that understands that schedule. So Yeah, and he was probably busier than I was because he was doing grad school and coaching at the same time. So, it, so however stressed I was, he was more stressed. So Yeah, I, I don't know that I could even comprehend what that would be like. Yeah. <laughs> PT school and working like AT clinics was, was tough enough. Yeah, um, definitely. So for the people out there listening that are interested in applying to PT school right now, um, Mm -hmm. what kinds of things would you recommend for them to do either like set them, set themselves apart from that group of applicants that are applying or um, how to maybe better prepare themselves just for the application process? Yeah, I think you have to do something that sets yourself apart because everyone who's applying has a similar major and they also did shadowing and they also probably have good grades and good scores. So you have to find something that's going to make yourself different. And for me, that happened to be writing and I had a blog about the process. And I think that that did set me apart, but you have to find a way to connect maybe the other things you're interested in with PT and just show how you have to show some way that you're going to be special or different from the other people applying. Mm-hmm. And so you, you said that that was like blogging and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, could you maybe expand on that a little bit? I know you said you talked about you kind of blogged your whole process. Um, was that like cathartic for you? Did you find that that helped other people maybe in the same situation? Um, yeah. 
I started it because I didn't know anyone who had applied to PT school when I was doing it. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know what PCAS was. I had no one really to go and ask these questions. So I figured I would write what I was doing to help other people, which I've heard from people who've said that my posts have helped them out. And then I also did it because I was trying to prove that I almost in a way that I could go to PT school, that I wasn't the person who's wanted to be a PT since I was five years old and majored in exercise science and had all these internships. It was more, by the time I was applying, I'd had maybe a year and a half of really wanting to do it. So it was almost like, okay, well, let's take all the things that I did work towards, like journalism writing, and then spin them in a way that makes them relevant to PT because I need to have something that shows that I can do this and that I'm passionate about it rather than just, oh, hey, I woke up one day and decided I want to be a PT. Mm -hmm. So I just show that I had been working towards it and that was my way of doing that. That's awesome. Do you, I'm pretty sure you, I've seen that you still do some blog stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that, do you still do stuff that's like targeted more towards students and trying to help them through that process? Yeah, I do. I do a little bit of both. I try to write about being a new grad because that's what I am now. And then I do write some things for pre-physical therapy students Um, Like one thing I actually noticed a lot online recently was all these people who are in situations where they got into a PT school, but they're still waiting to hear back from other schools. But the one they got into is making them put down a deposit and what do they do? And Mm -hmm. I started to somehow see that question a lot in the past few weeks. So I should have a blog post coming out for new grad physical therapy soon about what to do in that situation since I was in that situation myself. And what did you do? I wrote to both schools and said I needed more time to make the decision of where to go and could they let me have more time. And I think I did end up having to put down deposits at two schools, but they did let me have more time to decide. And I kind of figured an extra $500 to know that you're going to the right PT school and in the grand scheme of how much PT school costs wasn't a huge thing to maybe throw away knowing that I was going to where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. That is like a, it's a tough scenario in a situation, especially if you're applying to multiple schools. Yeah. Oh. And it seems like yeah. it happens to most people because it's not like an undergrad where kind of every college says their decisions around the same time. It's like totally random with PT school. So a lot of people don't really know what to do when they find themselves in that situation. Yeah. And it's, it's totally frustrating because you're, you're like, okay, well, I got accepted to this school. Wasn't my top choice, but it's PT school. And I know I want to go to a PT school. Yeah. And I'm still waiting to hear back from my, you know, like number one choice that, and all that stuff. So I, that's, that's cool that you're, you're taking the time to, to write a post about that. And I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people that are going through that. Yeah, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were accepted into your program, and we know that you went to Columbia. So what, what were kind of your experiences in PT school at Columbia? What, what did you learn about yourself? I think just how hard I could work and how tough it was because going in, it was kind of like, well, I went to a really good undergrad, and I've always been a strong student, and I am very hardworking, so I should be able to do this. And then I got there, and the first semester when everyone – knew all this stuff that I had never heard of. It was like, wow, this is actually going to be really hard and I don't know what I'm doing. And there was a lot of talk in my program about failing out and how easy it was to fail out and how you 
fail one class and you're done with the program. And there was all this almost negative attention on failing out. And I somehow became convinced that that was something that could happen to me, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't really ever at risk of that happening. But it was, so it was really stressful for me, especially at the beginning, because I was convinced that I could fail out and that I didn't know what I was doing. And yeah, there were some really tough times at the beginning of PT school. I, uh, how did you, uh, Mike. I was just going to say, how did you, how did you work through that? Like what kind of strategies did you use to, to kind of like meet those, those doubts that you had about yourself and, and, and work through it? Uh, I started studying harder and I also met with my professors to see where, how I could study differently or better or talking through things because, you know, a lot of times I would, so at Columbia, it was all multiple choice testing aside from practicals because they were trying to get us ready for the boards. So Mm. I was very good at picking the second best answer. And (laughs) if I could have explained why my answer was what I had picked. The professors were always like, yeah, you have a point, but you really should have picked this other one. So mm-hmm. it was just a different way of testing and almost learning how to study for the test. Like this is what they're going to be looking for. This is how you pick the right multiple choice question because I didn't, I never had a problem with the practical stuff, but it was kind of the multiple choice testing that was a struggle at the beginning. So I think a lot of it was just meeting with professors and figuring out kind of what I needed to be doing differently. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really good advice, you know, and I feel like that happens a lot where you can be pretty good at like the practical component of it. Um, you know, just like building that rapport and like building that relationship and all that stuff and the skills, the hands-on skills. But when it comes to like the test taking aspects of it, like you said, the second best answer that hit me right in the heart because that happens to me so many times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, the two. And it's I, like, you should almost get partial credit cause you had a reason for picking it, but I mean, you can't mm-hmm. have a test like that. True. <laughs> Mike, how many times has that been for you a Dr. Turner or uh, or Denise test question? I feel like oh, yeah. those <laughs> those two professors like there's always like oh well yeah no see your point um, but uh, it's still not the best answer so we yeah. have to go with the best answer and you're just like what <laughs> you said on slide 37 that it's this and he's like yeah I know but if you went to slide 38 you'd see that it was really this answer. Yeah. Like, oh, curse you, Dr. Turner. <laughs> but he's, he's an OG. I love him. Um, yes. And that's, that's the thing too, is uh, I, I like what you just said too, about taking the time out and actually like sitting down with the professors and talking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a big tendency for us to kind of shoulder things on ourselves and say, Oh, you know, I must be so stupid or why am I not getting this and, and all this kind of stuff. But um, you know, just sitting down and talking, and just hearing a perspective from somebody else and some advice from somebody else can make all the difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's one of the big things that we see a lot, Mike, with, um, just like, you know, first year students that are just getting in the program, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid to show that they're either struggling with something or that they're unfamiliar with a concept. And they're afraid that their professors are going to judge them, that their classmates are going to judge them. But the thing is, if you just like, if you own it up and you go to someone and you seek help, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That makes you such a stronger person in the long run to be able to admit that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm struggling with this concept. Can you help me a little bit with it? And, yeah, you know, 10 times out of 10 times, uh, which I believe is 100% of the time, at least 60% <laughs> of the time, um, those people are going to they're gonna help you. And the professors, like Mike said, are going to offer you a different perspective. Maybe they'll show you a different way that you could maybe study. 
Um, a lot of times I know with me, I would try to meet with classmates that maybe were like, I kind of looked at as the, you know, almost like specialists in that particular subject. Cause there's always going to be the people that gravitate more towards like orthopedics and musculoskeletal stuff. There's going to be the people that are like really, really good at like inpatient neuro because those are, those are the things that they're passionate about. Yeah. So like ask, ask your classmates, like, don't be afraid to go to one of them and just be like, Hey, can you help me study for this test? Or Hey, can you explain this concept? And, um, I just, I just feel like, at least I've seen that a lot of times those this first year students, especially first semester, are just too afraid to do that. Yeah. So. And what's hard good. for you will be easy to a classmate and they'll explain it to you. And then something that you think is really easy is not going to make sense to them. So then you explain it to them and then you know it better. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. it's tough too, especially when you're first in school, because in undergrad, you've kind of established this mindset of like, you know, oh my God, I have to be the best at this. I have to get the good grades. I have to compete with the people in my class because we're all trying to get into school. Yeah. Right? But once you're in grad school, like who cares? Yeah. Like, unless, no, there's no competition in grad school. Unless you're going to go back for a PhD program or something like, but even then, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Everybody's on the same team. Everybody wants you to graduate. Um, and so you kind of got to break that. I know sometimes that can be kind of hard for semester because everybody's still trying yeah. to one up each other. Mm-hmm. Once you get past that and you realize that you're like a family and you're all in it together, it makes it so much easier. Yeah, for sure. And there was a lot of people in my class would share their notes and there's a lot of collaboration once you realize that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so get kind of given what you know now about your experiences, um, what would, what advice would you give your past self, um, about PT school and, and how to get through it? Just to stop being so worried about it. Like I was never going to fail out. So why did I like go home crying after my first anatomy practical? Because I thought I was going to fail. You know, I got like in the eighties on it. It wasn't that big a deal. But Spoken, <laughs> but I, I went... spoken like a true Cornell grad. <laughs> but I went home and like wrote a, an email to my parents about how I might fail out of PT school. And I was so freaked out because I didn't think it had gone well. And then I don't know. I should have just like relaxed afterwards because there was no point in getting that upset about it. Mm. Yeah. I think it's good advice. I, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Um, I, so I'm during our cardiovascular class, like cardiovascular PT in our third year of PT school. Mm-hmm. I was the only student in the class that has some sort of like active cardiac pathology. So like oh. I have a pacemaker ICD and I've like got dilated cardiomyopathy. And so our professor would oftentimes like ask me questions about like, you know, what is it like to be a patient? You know, what are your, have your interactions been with, with like cardiologists and the hospital, that kind of thing. And we would talk about like EKGs and I'd bring in some of the ones that I've had um, with like interesting, like tachycardia and stuff like that. And then it comes, so I'm kind of like, my class kind of looks at me as like some sort of like cardio genius, maybe not really, mm-hmm. but like at least with a couple aspects of it. And then when we take the test, I got the lowest grade. Like I, I, I legitimately got like a 53 with like a 10 point curve. Oh no. And, uh, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. I, I graduated. Mm-hmm. I'm all good. But, yeah. You know, at the time it was just like, Oh God. It's so bad. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you, you bounce back and one, one test grade does not make or break your, your PT school career. Like, yeah, not, and no one, no one knows what your grades were. Like, if you had never told us that, no one would know that. No, I mean, it's about how you do the job itself. 
But mm. I think it's, I mean, for me, it was always like a good lesson. Like, cause I mean, you know, you're, you're going to fail. It's just about how you bounce back from stuff. Just, mm-hmm. just like riding a unicycle. You, you fall and you fall. <laughs> Until you stop falling. Until you stop falling, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. sometimes, especially I know for me and Mike, like, you know, trying to do two programs at once, like life gets crazy. You've got all these mm-hmm. responsibilities you got to juggle. And even just in PT school in general, you know, all the different classes, your clinic work, going home and just trying to like relax and get away from that to some extent. But then also realizing like, oh my God, I have a test in like two days and I should study and there's just so much that goes into it. So the more that you can always like take, take a step back and like look at it without your emotions and without like your subjectivity and just kind of be objective with stuff and realize like you're going to get through it. It's just one, one test grade, one paper, like yeah. it's not the end of the world. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So kind of like at this point in the timeline, you know, we, we've seen you, your experiences and kind of going through PT school and you've since graduated. So kind of like reflecting back, what were your thoughts as you had just graduated PT school about to enter the world as a, as a real life PT? What was going through your head? The first two weeks I was practicing, I kept waiting for someone to be like, well, why are you even in the room right now? You're not actually a physical therapist. Like I was so used to being on clinicals that I was almost like waiting for like a CI to come in or for someone to, I felt like I was a person pretending to be a physical therapist instead of that. I was the physical therapist. And then, and then I got over that after two weeks, but then, I mean, the first few months, you really don't know what you're doing. Um, that's pretty scary. Uh, <laughs> I think you guys are kind of at that point now. Uh, so. I, can, I can second that as start, yeah. having started my job uh, approximately 26 days ago. Yeah. Um, okay. So yes. You're right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've been practicing for two and a half years now, and I just had my annual review with my boss, and he was asking me how things were going, and like part of my feedback was, I actually feel like I know what I'm doing some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> It like it sounds like such a weird thing to say, but that's true. Because at the beginning, you feel like you know what you're doing like five percent of the time. It's it's funny because that reminds me of uh, when we were talking with Riley a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, she Mm -hmm. said that there was like one point in time where she was doing an eval, and she literally wrote, "Sometimes I don't know what's happening with patients' bodies." Yeah. (laughs) I know. I heard that, and it just made me think. Though I've had patients who I have gotten better and then if you came to me and said but what was actually wrong with them like I don't even know if I could have told you some of the time but it's like I kind of just tried to do what I thought would be helpful and it ended up working so you can even if you don't know what's going on you can still sometimes be effective yeah I think I think that's that's the thing too like we it's it's interesting um because I feel like in PT school we're taught to look at everything with like a movement diagnosis like typically Mm -hmm. we're supposed to have a PT diagnosis but then as soon as you get into an outpatient clinic or a hospital or wherever where you have to put in ICD-10 codes, yeah. you then start having to do these like medical diagnoses. And mm-hmm. it gets weird because you, you can't technically make those diagnoses and you're trying to do like some sort of movement thing. And then half the time, like just like you said, you don't maybe not know if that's 100% what it is. But yeah. as long as you just you know kind of stick to your guns and go with your gut and treat what you see... Yeah. yeah. Odds are you. And then on top of that, the patient's also going to ask you what's wrong with me. So you can't just be like writing an ICD-10 code or having your own idea. Like you have to at some point tell the patient what you're thinking. Yeah. 
Yeah, it gets, um, it gets, it's, it gets weird with that, with, especially with having to like document stuff and kind mm-hmm. of switch back and forth and all that. I've, I found that very challenging mm-hmm. as a, a new, new grad. Yeah, definitely. So for anybody that's going to be graduating soon from PT school or they've just taken their first job, you know, like what kind of advice would you give to them to help them kind of navigate through those kind of sentiments and feelings? I think similar to what we were saying about in school talking to professors would be try to find someone at your job that you can go to and ask questions like, what do I do in this situation? What do you think is happening here? Um, Keep looking things up. We have to look stuff up all the time as a new grad. And just keep learning because, I mean, eventually you're going to have, eventually you'll gain experience and feel more comfortable. But at the beginning, you're going to have to do a lot of it on your own, figuring things out and learning and figuring out what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So kind of just being comfortable with that uncertainty and, and, and working through it. Yeah. And then having someone to ask for help. Like even at, at my job, if you're working with someone for a few sessions and I mean, I had to do this a lot more like two and a half years ago, but they'd always say like, if you don't know what's going on after a couple sessions, refer the patient to another therapist in the practice. Mm -hmm. And then you can do like a co-treatment and see like what someone else would do and see, get a little bit more clarity on the situation. So basically like, don't just like struggle blindly, but ask for help when you need it or get a second opinion if you need it. Awesome. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I might start doing that. Like yeah. in my in my practice, yeah, okay? it's it's helpful for yeah. sure. Who was who was it? Uh, I think it was Jason LePage that said, "Help will always be available at Hogwarts for those that ask." Yep, mm-hmm. <laughs> as a reference there, so <laughs> it kind of, kind of fits in pretty yeah. well. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Dumbledore. Yeah, there's a really <laughs> funny meme for ICD-10, like just making fun of ICD-10. And it's like a picture of a nail going through this guy's foot and it's all like bloody and disgusting. And then the ICD-10 code is like pain in unspecified leg or something like really unspecific. <laughs> so it's kind of like you can, you can always find an ICD-10 code that's just really vague in general to fit your problem if you need to. Like, uh, what is it? Encounter with, with McCall, like subsequent event or something like that or like yeah there's like yeah there's some pretty weird ones like turtles and like bull attacks and there's all sorts of strange stuff yeah i think there's a spaceship one (laughs) yeah oh my god are you serious there's like a i think so (laughs) yeah i i'm waiting for the day that i can use that as a as a a code (laughs) do you think medicare would approve of that Maybe. Oh, man. It's funny because I remember when ICD-10 came out to make myself sound like I have more experience than I have because it was only like a year and a half ago. But uh, it was a big thing because we had to switch all our ICD-9 for patients into ICD-10. And I don't know, they made a big deal about it and ended up not being such a big deal. But it's kind of like one of the first changes that I can say I remember seeing. I just remember all the crazy things our professor, like when it was happening, Mm-hmm. Our professors would put up all those like crazy diagnoses or whatever on there. And yeah, I still like when I'm going through those pain codes, sometimes I'm just like, how do you not know what leg it is? Like, why would you put unspecified leg? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do they have a third leg 
or like, are they like yeah. a centaur or something like that? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's 50, 50 shot. I mean, come on. It's also, I think when changes happen while you're in school, your professors make a much bigger deal about them than they really are. Like when I was in PT school was when G codes came out mm -hmm. for Medicare and we spent like weeks learning about G codes and like, I think it was a really big deal to the professors that they came out. And then I went out and started working and it takes like three seconds to pick a G code. And it's really like not a big deal at all. And I was just like, how did we spend weeks talking about this <laughs> in school? But somehow you do. So you probably spent weeks talking about ICD-10 when it wasn't actually such a big deal. I don't really know that we spent a ton of time on that. There, I, at least I, maybe I blacked it from my memory. I'm not sure. There's mm -hmm. a couple classes that I like legitimately don't remember what we talked about in. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that shows that I'm like I was like a bad student or what, but no, no. And that, <laughs> you can't remember everything. Yeah. And there's definitely points in time, like even just as a new grad where I'm just like, wow, I I don't remember this as well as I thought I did. Yeah. Or even I remember the first time I saw someone with I think it was like a knee replacement on my own. And that's like one of the most common things you can see. And I'd seen them on my internships, but she was asking me all these questions and I was like, oh God, like this is the first time I'm seeing this like by myself. Like, I don't know how long things are going to take, or I don't know the answer to all these things. And now it's like, I've seen a million and I can answer those questions, but it's like even something so basic, like there's a time when you haven't seen it before. Yep. So so what do you say to that patient that's asking you those questions and you're unsure? <laughs> you say it varies. <laughs> and move on. The age old, it depends. <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> or I might say it varies and then try to look it up or ask someone and have a more specific answer. You know, if it's an answer to something that you really need to give an answer to, you always can say, I don't know. And the patient will always appreciate that. But if it's something you can be vague about, I think saying it varies isn't such a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Cool. <laughs> so we kind of understand that you have uh, a few different side hustles. Uh, we talked a little bit about your radio show that you've done in the past, but uh, what, are, what are you doing now? Like, what were your motivations for doing them? Yeah. So like I was saying, I just kind of always kept writing even when I was applying to PT school. And so I have my own website. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, I'm mostly writing for other people and doing blog posts and articles for others, especially new grad physical therapy. And then I'm also, I've put myself out there as an expert who, or a physical therapist who can be quoted as an expert in publications. So yeah. if someone else is writing a story and they need quotes from someone to sound more legitimate, they can ask me and I've done some quotes for some places like mm. Insider and Men's Health and stuff like that. And then I also edit uh, pre-PT student application essays to PT school. So oh, kind of a big combination of yeah. writing and editing for myself and for others. So how do you how do you go about being an expert quoted PT? How does that work? Um, I got onto a listserv where reporters just ask questions about, it could be like anything. And if you think that there's something that you can answer that's relevant to you, you can write back. And sometimes they take it, sometimes they don't. Um, but if they take it, then you're quoted. 
Huh. I had no idea. That's so um, cool. Sometimes it's weird because sometimes they don't tell you that they're using your quote. And then I've like Googled myself before and been like, oh, like men's health used my quote like six months ago. Like that's pretty cool. But I wish someone had told me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That would have been, would have been a nice courtesy just to say, yeah. hey, yeah. by the way. <laughs> but... But yeah, and then sometimes they'll write back and they have more questions or follow-ups and some reporters are nice and they'll actually send me the story once it's finished. So it varies, but it's kind of a cool thing to get into. Oh, that's awesome. So now that you're like quoted in stuff like Men's Health, do you ever like quote your quote? <laughs> I've thought about it. Sometimes I'll see questions because a lot of people will write like the same story over and over again, like. So sometimes I want to be like, I already answered this for someone else. So like, why do you even need to write about this again? But I mean, that's just kind of how all these different websites online work is they like to talk about the same couple of things over and over and over again, like how, you know, you're getting too old and you know, there's always going to be silly stories like that. We, Mike, we need mm-hmm. to start doing like clickbait titles for our like podcasts and stuff. Like, <laughs> what should we call, what should we call this? Like 15 ways to get better at applying for PT school something yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. No, there's a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> and wild. sometimes some of them are just so weird. Like, cause I see what reporters want to be writing about. And sometimes it's just like the weirdest stories or just things that you're like, you shouldn't even write about that. Cause it's not true. Or I don't know. It's a lot of like weird pseudoscience out there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I had no idea. Well, yeah. I knew about the, the pseudoscience and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. just like the whole process to get involved and then like the quoting process was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, with your experiences with like new grad PT, how did you get involved there? Somehow I found their website when they were starting out and I think I asked, I think I just asked them if I could be involved and then I've been writing for them since soon after they started and yeah, I've couple, that's where the post about having multiple deposits down is going to come from. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool place to write for because they have a pretty big audience. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet. So, you know, it seems like, you know, you're able to get involved in a lot of different things that you're interested and passionate about. And what I really like is you're able to take all the experiences you've had before PT school and kind of mesh it together mm-hmm. into what you're doing now. Um, yeah. But that's just cool advice too for anybody that's listening that you know wants to get involved with uh, you know different websites or projects or programs and, and just just going out and talking with people uh, and saying hey I'd like to be involved this is what I can do uh, that's that's neat yeah that. well that's how I found you guys I was just like hey I think I could be a good guest for you guys yeah. <laughs> and you said yes so. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it works out no yeah. no and I think uh, I mean <clears throat> Mike and I have a lot of like upcoming ideas and stuff. And uh, we may we may try to do something with you in the future down the road this year, and see if maybe we can uh, try to help you with I don't know we'll we'll throw some stuff around but either like you know helping students with like essays or anything like that yeah. we may we may try and do a little collab with you for a month yeah that'd be awesome yeah I'm just starting to hear back now from where some of those kids are getting in so that's been pretty cool that's awesome oh, that's great now do you see like a so as far as like Obviously, you're doing all this stuff right now. Is there something in the future? Like, do you have a goal of, like, continuing to meld both, like, journalism, writing, editing, and PT? Uh, yeah, I've, I'm trying to figure it out all the time. But one thing, I've, I've let the APTA know that I'd be interested in being a member of their media corps. Mm-hmm. 
So those are the people who are like designated to speak on behalf of what the profession is. Mm. Um, so I've kind of put in my, or put my hat in the ring for that. And then I'm not sure beyond that. It's kind of like, I'm just kind of doing it, seeing where it will take me and what new opportunities will pop up. But it's kind of like, I'm just doing what I like to do and Mm-hmm. kind of seeing where it takes me. So That's random great. side question, because I, I hear people yeah. use that like phrase a lot of like throwing your hat into the ring. Mm-hmm. What hat do you visualize that you're throwing into the ring? Like if you were to think about that. I think that. saying that I'm someone who is a physical therapist who has unique skills in writing and editing and communicating that maybe not every physical therapist has. So setting myself apart that way. No, no, no. I meant more like literal, like top hat or like baseball cap. Oh, <laughs> I'm thinking too, <laughs> I'm too serious about this. Um, oh, it would be a fascinator. You know, like the British, like royalty wear. Do you want to know what mine is? I don't think... What's Mine's yours? a multicolored baseball cap with a propeller on the end of it. Awesome. Color cap. Mike, what's your hat? Top hat for sure. Yeah, you're a top hat guy. I just I just love top hats. And monocles too. I'd probably there'd probably be like a monocle that would go with it. Just as is like an accompaniment yeah. to the hat. I feel like you have to. Do, would you atta- attach you your monocle to the top hat so that you don't lose your monocle? Like cuz I know they oh. t- typically have chains, right? Don't they have like a little chain? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they I think it connects to like Actually, I have no idea where that connects. I don't think I've ever thought about that before. That's should interesting. We, should we bring that back, like mon- monocle use? What yes. about the, yes. you know, like the little hearing horns that people used to put in their ears? Like it looks like you got like a Victrola coming out of the side of your head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Can we bring that back too? Is that like, I feel like. We should. We should. People don't really seem to like their hearing aids, so that might be worth making a comeback. Could you imagine if I pulled that out in the middle of like a patient eval? <laughs> just, just to hear you better with, man. I think you should, oh, Mike. We need to, we need to get our Tumblr going so we can put all these great ideas on it. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> another another funny, exciting rabbit hole for sure. Oh, <laughs> just give, give like two second gifts of us doing exercises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. We'll have to do it. Put it on the list. We'll get it done. God, we have so many things um, on our list. But yes. So <laughs> let's let's bring it back. Um, so so I guess you know you you've you've been successful doing a lot of different uh, opportunities with you know pursuing your passions and all of this. What advice would you give to our listeners who are interested in pursuing a side hustle? Um, just to do it. There's not going to be a perfect time or a perfect amount perfect amount of experience where you feel ready. Um, but just do it because it's better to just, I think to just get it started and kind of figure it out as you go along and always be making it better than to wait until something seems perfect and then doing it. Yeah. Like I'm always looking at my website and thinking it could be better or seeing something and adding it or changing something. But if I waited till I felt like everything was perfect, I mean, I still wouldn't have started. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's good advice just to break the inertia, um, just, you know, the, the fear of either failure or just, you know, being worried about trying to make everything as perfect as you can. That's, that's really good advice. Thanks. Just do it. Just do it. 
like Shia LaBeouf said. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes. Oh man. His his career has really come a long way since even Stevens. I just want to put that out there. Um and holes. Great movie. Oh, yeah, I'm surprised movie. he didn't win an, an Emmy for that, or sorry, the Emmy's TV, an Oscar for his role in Holes. <laughs> I think the Academy's a little biased. Um, Against kids, yeah. Yeah, otherwise Leo would have won his way back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he finally won an Oscar, though, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it was for... for the Re- I think so. The, the Revenant? The bear yeah, movie. The, the one where yeah. he gets attacked by the bear. Several times. I don't think I've ever seen it. I, I've seen the yeah, scene with the bear. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. really all you need to see. Uh, it seemed like that's all you needed to see from the preview. Like the, I mm-hmm. saw the movie in theaters, and one time was enough. I did not need to see that again. Um, but like, mm-hmm. as far as the cinematography, like, I mean, that's the reason why the, the movie was up there. He did a fantastic job acting, and the cinematography was absolutely amazing. But it's just like one of those movies, because the subject matter is so tough, it's just like, mm, I don't really want to see this again. I would mm-hmm. one time is enough, but yeah, glad he finally That's got fair. his Oscar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we're uh, we're running close to the end of our time for our show here. Uh, we just got a couple more questions to ask you, um, just in regards of like life and all that kind of stuff too. So when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, or have kind of lost your focus temporarily, what do you do to kind of reset yourself and get back to to your focus? I like to stop what I'm doing. Sometimes that's a good time to take a gym break if you're really unfocused or just like go outside and take a walk. Um, I think that's usually the best thing is just stop what I'm doing and do something totally different for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Kind of just like break it up a little bit. Do you find that, you know, you kind of get yourself into like a a rut where you're just like staring at the same thing over and over again and then just like getting away from it helps to, to kind of like reinvigorate you for a little bit? Yeah. Especially like in PT school, like I think some of my best workouts were like during finals or during midterms. Cause I would just be like, I have to get out of my apartment and stop looking at these books <laughs> and like go have a really good workout and then come back. Whereas like, cause some people, it's really easy to get caught up where you just don't do anything for yourself during finals. Mm-hmm. And I found that it was better if I like did take breaks and did do something different for a little bit. Yeah. And then ultimately, you know, you've, You've used up a bunch of energy, and that's good. So you're able to get all that out, and then when you come back to it, you're a little bit more focused and ready to, to seize the day. Yeah, exactly. Carpe them DMs. <laughs> yeah, all about the DMs. In fact, you can even say we like to slide into DMs sometimes, especially on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You awesome. had no idea what you were in for. Actually, you probably didn't know what you were in for. Yeah, because I've listened to a few of the podcasts, so I knew. <laughs> oh, God, we like to have fun. So, yeah. So I know, awesome. I know you spoke a little bit about um, this before, but like, what, do you, what are your dreams? What do you, what do you, where do you see yourself going, and what do you want to accomplish in like the next five, ten years? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that I'm not really sure. I have like a few different – I want to keep writing and editing and doing the side hustle. I don't really know – exactly where I want it to take me. Um, at some point I always play around with owning my own clinic, Mm. um, kind of more in the immediate. I'm trying to decide if I want to 
do something. I need to listen to your latest podcast. I need to decide if I want to do like the OCS or something like that. So I kind of have like a lot of different things all floating in my head and just need to decide where I'm going to focus. Maybe you should start your own clinical specialty where like you're like a somehow involved writing. I don't know what you would call it. Like a, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of like what letters it would be, but I, I it would take me too long to come up with something with <laughs> like it. Like a WCS maybe? Like writing, I don't that's know. Right? Because like women. Oh yeah. Cause that's the women's health one, which is probably a little bit more important. But. Like a, like a, oh like gosh. an LCS, like literary clinical specialist, perhaps. Maybe. Fusing Maybe. the fields. Of- can you can you just start your own letters? I mean, you could you could probably do that. Just start putting letters after your name. <laughs> yeah, people respond randomly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good lord! All right, <laughs> I think we're 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 running up onto that time and point in the show where we we ask all of our guests the same question. So uh, we here at the Movement Docs, and we believe in always moving forward in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experiences and knowledge and life and love. The pursuit of happiness. What is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best version of themselves? I think the best advice is if you want to see a change, you have to make a change. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people kind of, if they don't, they might not like the way something's going, um, but they're kind of doing the same thing over and over again. But if you want things to be different, like you have to actually change what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's something I tell patients a lot too, because sometimes it's like, they don't really understand why something still hurts or why something's still bothering them. And then it's like, well, you didn't actually change anything about your life. So until you change what you're doing, the same injury is going to keep happening to you or the same thing is still going to keep bothering you. So you have to change something to see something be different. Yeah. No, that's awesome. You know, I love that. It's, and I love what you just referenced too about your patients. You know, you're, you're empowering them to, to take control of their life and their situation. Uh, you can help like be a harbinger and kind of guide them um, with advice and like and, and some treatments and stuff. But ultimately, it's, they need to be the change that they need to, to, to do to, you know, get themselves better. So I think that's very cool. Yeah. Love Thanks. that one. Mm-hmm. It's very, very like Gandhi-esque of you. <laughs> you want to see in the world. So would you, exactly. if a, like, would you quote Gandhi and then quote yourself? Like, no. no. So it's not like the you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. I think I think that was Yogi Bear. Wasn't that Yogi Bear? Is it? I just somebody. I just know Michael. Michael Scott. He, he has a lot of he. So he was actually my neighbor in New Jersey, what? and he has a lot of great. Like quotes. I would give my. Yeah, and then so. Go ahead. The best one is if you come to a fork in the road, take it. And that is because there's a street that they renamed for him, but it, it goes onto my street and it both forks get to my street. What? It's like, it's like a Y kind of, and like both the top parts of the Y, they both go to my street. And so they say that he came up with that quote because that's what happens. Either fork you take, you still get to our street. I think he, oh my gosh. I remember reading yeah. one from him that was like, I would give my left hand to be ambidextrous. <laughs> yeah. He said a lot of funny things like that. I'm just, my mind is so blown that he's your neighbor. 
Yeah. I mean, he was my neighbor. Like he lived like two miles down the road. Like I didn't actually like know him or hang out with him, but we were always very proud that he was our neighbor. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) Well, Jess, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, Fun fact. (laughs) I'm still like trying to wrap my head around this. This is so cool. (laughs) Should should we title the podcast that if there's a fork in the road, take it. I feel like this, I feel like that's a we great <laughs> great metaphor for everything that we've been talking about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's perfect. I think we should. Well, Jasmine, we we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show today. If anyone <laughs> listening to the show wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way they can do that? They can go to my website, which is jasminemarcus.com. and they can email me at jmarcusdpt at gmail. Dot com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at jmarcusdbt. So any of those ways will work. Perfect. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you again. We really appreciate you coming on. I'm really grateful for this opportunity to kind of hear your perspectives and all that too. So Yeah. Thanks so much for having yeah, me. It was, yeah. it was our pleasure. We're so happy that you were on the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke to Dr. Jasmine Marcus. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdboomatdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.